you were here last night, I believe we had a great time together, a great time in the Word where God did some work in our lives. Just talking with some of the ladies and hearing how God is moving. We have been praying that not one person would leave here without knowing that God has spoken personally to them, that He's reached down into their soul and done a work. And, you know, He invites us. We're lovely in His sight, and He invites us in, and we saw that last night. And we also noted, though, that many of us don't like what we see when we're looking in the mirror. But now being unveiled, we don't have to look at ourselves. We can look at Him, and we can see ourselves in Him. What does our verse say? But we all with unveiled, say that word, unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you wake us up this morning? Would you stand over us, Lord, and just rouse us from our slumber? Lord, thank you for removing the veil. Thank you for giving us your glory and taking our sin, God. Would you now move that glory into how we live each and every day? Only through you, Lord, will that ever happen. And I pray this morning, Lord, you would give us a greater understanding of that as you speak to us from your word. Let your words be spoken here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Ladies, you know, when you start to gaze intently at the Lord, you wake up. You start seeing the need to change and you will not be settled until God does a transforming work in you. I am sure that many of you have had wake-up moments before. Sometimes they're like this glorious revival and they feel really, really good. <laughs> Sometimes, though, they are attached to suffering and they don't feel so good. <laughs> Sometimes wake-up moments happen when we're just forced to just look at ourselves and realize, you know, some changing not, needs to start taking place. I had a wake-up moment not too long ago. It wasn't glorious. It wasn't attached to suffering. In fact, it was just rather embarrassing, if you really want to know the truth. Many of you know that I have two children. I have a daughter who just finished her freshman year in school and college in Florida. She's home for the summer. She's here at VBS helping in various ways, so you might have seen her around. Her name is Mackenzie. But being off at college, though, you know, she's becoming an adult. And we're not really sure in our household how to parent adults. We've never done this before. So we're transitioning at our house. I also have a son who is 15. His name is Sam. And I'm finding that about this age, boys don't really like their mamas telling them what to do. And, you know, I think it's part of that whole just, you know, becoming a man thing, this, this leadership rising up within them. But here's the thing. We still got three more years at our house to do mama-son time. And so I got to get this thing figured out. And in reality, I'm going to be his mother as long as he or I, one or both of us, are alive if we don't kill each other first. And we really won't. But, you know, I've been gazing at the Lord this year in the book of Isaiah. I told you that last night. And he has reminded me of something as I've been looking at him and beholding him intently. He's reminding me that my children really belong to him. See, I've been beholding his sovereignty. And he's been waking me up to some transformation that needs to take place in me, in me as a parent. See, it's easy for me to think about all the things that need to change in them. 
but he has been waking me up this year to things that need to take place in me. See, I know how to parent this way. I'm in charge and I tell you what to do. And it works just fine, you know? And it worked great that way. I mean, I made all the plans, I gave the direction, I settled everybody's stuff, you know, when they were in elementary school. But they're not in elementary school anymore and, I, and I've gotta figure this thing out. It's time for me to make some adjustments. So keeping that in mind, let me tell you about a wake-up moment that I had not too long ago. A time where really the Holy Spirit just took my face in his hands and he said, sweetie, you have got to wake up and let me do a transforming work in you as a parent. Because in this parenting role, you are not reflecting my glory. You are not reflecting my lordship in their lives. So here's the story. It was exam week in the spring for my son, Sam. Now, Sam has always, always been full of movement, as many boys are. For example, when he was in elementary school and we would practice spelling words, you know, at night for the spelling test at the end of the week, you know, big deal spelling test. And I would want to just sit down really nicely, maybe each of us have a drink in front of us and go over the words, but he would like be running around the kitchen table saying the words. And I would just like be crazy. I just wanted to glue his behind to the chair, but he'd be running around and he'd get an A on his test, but I would be like dizzy from all of it. Well, he's a lot older now, but he's still full of movement. So it's exam week, and he's got a lot of studying to do. And, and I knew that. And in my elementary parenting mode, what I wanted to do was set it all up and control the whole thing. But that wasn't a good idea. And as I had been beholding the Lord, I knew that I needed to just let go and let God work in him and let him figure it out. And I needed to be praying. That's what the Lord has been telling me that I need to do is pray. Shut my mouth and pray. Well, Sam's at the computer. And just so you know, Samuel never sits in a computer chair like you would think you would sit in a computer chair. You know, we have the kind that has the high back. And so instead of putting his behind in the chair and leaning against the back part, he puts his knees in the chair and leans over the top and usually spins around a whole lot. But he also tells me that he's studying. But just so you know, that has the high probability of getting on my last nerve. So here we are, and we're at this studying time, you know? And in the midst of all of it, my husband, the night before, it's exam week, had brought him home this big old bag of balloons that somebody had given him at work. Now he's 15, but still boys like balloons. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? I've already lost control here and you're gonna bring him this bag of balloons. But for whatever reason, he did, and I'm trying to keep my mouth shut and I'm just trying to pray. So you can imagine the scene. Sam, who needs to be studying, is sitting in the computer room, at the computer, in the chair, spinning around. A balloon is in his mouth, and he's blowing it up and getting it all full of air. And then what do they do? Instead of tying it together, they let it out, and it flies all over the room. And usually spit comes with it. And we won't go there, okay? So, so this is what's going on. But as I walk in there, he says, I'm studying, Mom. Yeah, yeah. So I'm in the kitchen, feeling pretty frustrated. You know, this is not my idea here feeling like I need to control this study session. And so I just kind of think, well, I'll just say a little bit. So I look in and I say, oh, bud, you know, why don't you put the balloons down and study? Oh, mom, I am studying. I walk out of the room, but then I stick my head back in and, hey, stop spinning in that chair. You can't study that way. Mom, I got it. I'm studying. So I walk out of the room. I go to my corner, the kitchen. I'm trying to fix dinner, but I can hear all kinds of stuff going on in there. I just can't stand it. So I go back in there a little bit later and I say, Sam, 
Stop it with the balloons. Mom, I got it. They're my exams. I'm under control. Let me do it. I go back in my corner. A little bit later, I walk in, and I mean, Sam is spinning like no tomorrow. Blown-up balloons are all over the floor, and about the time that I walk in, this huge one comes flying out of its mouth, and I lost it. And let me tell you, a transformation came over me, but it was not from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> not at all. And it was not lovely. I started stomping on balloons, and with every stomp, I said, you will start studying, and I was getting rid of all the balloons, and I went to grab the bag of balloons, because I was going to get rid of those too, and I went to stomp on the last one, only this one didn't want to pop, so I lost my balance, and I about fell over. Well, that just made me really, really mad, and I grabbed the thing up, and I stomped off to the kitchen, because I was on a mission, and I opened the drawer, and guess what I got out? A knife, because I'm going to kill the balloon! <laughs> Somebody's got to start studying in this place, and he's looking at me like, Mom, I'm what are you doing? I stabbed the balloon and I looked at him and he looked at me and I went back to my corner and he went back to his. And all the while the Holy Spirit was just speaking and I was saying, leave me alone. And I wanted to justify my actions. I wanted to explain away why it was okay for me to have just gone to war with a bag of balloons. Here I am, a Bible-teaching woman, Holy Spirit-filled, and I just had a war that afternoon with a bag of balloons. So, a little bit later, my husband gets home. He comes in as he always does. Hey, everybody, how's your day? All happy? First thing out of Sam's mouth, well, Mom freaked out on my bag of balloons. I said, I did not. But before I could even get the words out of my mouth, he's telling this story, and my husband's eyes are just getting wider and wider. And I had a wake-up moment. I woke up to the reality of how I had acted. I saw the image of the Lord that I had been beholding in recent months. Sovereign, father of my children, the planner and purposer of their lives. And I woke up to the fact that I had not been a reflection of the glory of God at all. Nothing lovely about it. See, in that freak out moment that afternoon, I was looking at some stuff pretty intently, but it was not the Lord. I was looking at the balloons all over the floor. I was looking at my son who was growing up that I don't know how to control. And I was looking at this messy room. Now, that is not to say that his study habits couldn't use a little bit of improving. <laughs> but I lost it. And his image of me was true. Everything he said, I freaked out on a bag of balloons. Nothing lovely about it. Nothing in those moments at all reflecting the glory of God. And let me just say for the record, it is absolutely no fun to get tattled on by your kids. I mean, what is up with that? I don't get that part of the whole growing up thing either. But God used it. And it was a wake-up moment for me. I needed transformation. Now, why do I tell you that? Well, first of all, I want you to understand that we are all in this thing together. Just because I'm up here does not mean that I have gotten it all together. By no means. I still need transformation. But also because I believe that the Lord wants to wake us up this morning. All of us. You know, what are you usually doing on a Saturday morning? Who knows what we're all doing? Some of us would still be in bed for sure. But he wants to wake us up this morning and talk to us about the transformation of our souls. 2 Corinthians 3.18, our theme verse. You, if you've got your Bible, I hope you do. You might want to turn there. Again, 
It says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. You know, let's look at this. It says, but we all. Ladies, this is for everyone. There's no exceptions. There's no excuses. There's no exits allowed. It's for all of us. But we all. And it says, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We talked about this last night, how God took away the veil. And we need to be intently looking at him. And when, when we do that, it tells us exactly what the outcome is going to be. It says, our being transformed. That's the outcome. When we behold the Lord intently, the outcome is that we are being transformed. Now, it doesn't say they are being transformed. How many of you want to transform somebody else? We all do, right? It doesn't say they. It says we. And it doesn't say might be transformed, has the opportunity to be transformed, you can apply for transformation privileges and maybe God might grant them to you. It doesn't say that. It says are being transformed. We are being transformed. So I want to ask you this morning, are you in that zone with God, that transformation zone? What does that even mean? Well, last night I told you that you are lovely and you can become lovely. Now, if you really think about that, that could really sound like a contradiction, right? I mean, if I'm already lovely, then why do I need to become lovely? Well, again, that teaching that I referenced for you last night, this spirit, soul, and body is so helpful to understand this. See, without this kind of understanding, we can easily come under condemnation. Years ago, before I understood this, if I had had a moment like I did that day when I freaked out on the balloons, I would have come under condemnation for weeks about that. How could God love me if I do something so crazy as that and I just blow it with my children? I'd come under condemnation. But when I understand what God says about how he created me, how he has saved me, all the consequences that trickle down into my life, but how God has taken care of them and now how he wants to sanctify me, there's so much foundation that we need to understand for us to move on with Christ. That's why I encourage you, if you don't understand that, a $5, I mean, we spend $5 on, you know, a cup of coffee sometimes every day. This will make a difference for you if you really don't understand that. And, and again, if you can't afford it, it's, it's a donation just to help us cover our costs, but if you can't afford it, ask them to give you one, and they will. Tell them Sharon said to. But this morning, I do want to give one away to Donna Seaburn. Are you here today? Where's Donna? Kelly's going to take that to you. Here, I'm not sure. Wave your hand. I can't really see. Okay, great. Thank you. I hope that blesses you. But you can get one of those out in the foyer. But let me just give you a little bit of, of what goes on on that teaching that will help us today to understand this statement, we are lovely and we can become lovely. 2 Thessalonians 5.23 tells us we have a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a body. Let me define those for you. Our spirit is a place where God dwells within us. It's where God's spirit takes up residence within us. You know, the Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Well, I was dead in my trespasses and sin when I was walking around. <laughs> what was dead? My spirit was dead because God's spirit couldn't live in me when all that sin was present within me and God hadn't taken it in Christ's name for me. So our spirit is the place where God dwells. Our soul is like the seat 
of our personality. It's our mind, our will, our emotions. It's, it's the decisions that we make. It's, it's how we think. It's the things that we feel. It's what makes me different from you and you different from the person that's sitting next to you. It's the seat of our personality. And then we all have a body, okay? Now, in our culture, we're very body conscious. But really, this body is just a tent. That's what the Bible calls it. It's a tent for our spirit and our soul to live in while it's here on the earth. So, in light of that understanding, let's look at this statement, we are lovely and we can become lovely. We are lovely. You know, when Christ took our sin upon himself, like we talked about last night, that puts us in a place of being lovely. Because like it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he became sin. In other words, he took all the sin, and then he gave us his righteousness. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become his righteousness. He took our sin, he gave us his lovely. That puts us in a different place. And so now God's spirit can be born again in us. And that's why people say, I'm a born again Christian. Because God's spirit has literally been born again in them and come to life. Without Christ, you don't have a spirit. Your spirit is dead without him. But when you come to Christ and are saved, his spirit literally takes up residence in you. And you're lovely. And it's a done deal. And it happens in an instant. Just like a baby is born, when you accept Christ, there's a change. And the spirit is born again within you. You are lovely. But what about we can become lovely? Well, this is where we have to understand that we're made in the image of God, three in one, one in three. Just like God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are spirit, soul, and body. We're made in the image of God. We're three in one and one in three, too. And how do we become lovely? The loveliness of our spirit happens in that instant. But see, we still have a soul. And we still have a body. <laughs> and our soul and our body aren't always interested in walking around in the lovely glory of God. They've been doing their own thing for years and years and years. That is the reason that people can be saved and still be walking around in ugly sin all at the same time. Have you ever heard anybody say, how can she act like that and call herself a Christian? Right? I've heard it. I've probably said it about people, and people have probably said it about me. Wake up moment, okay? You know, we, we say it about other people, but do you realize people have probably said that about you too? How could she act like that and call herself a Christian? I thought I saw her at church last week. Well, the reason why is because, yes, we are a Christian. God has saved us. His spirit has come to life in us. But we many times allow our soul and our body to just direct the course, right? That's the reason that I can be a spirit-filled, born-again Bible teacher and go to war with a bag of balloons. That's the reason. Because many times I allow my soul, my wants, my thoughts, my feelings to take the direction of my life and my body just follows right along with it. But 1 Thessalonians 5.23 makes it very, very clear that God desires our spirit to be lovely, but our soul and body as well. It actually uses a very religious-sounding term called sanctification. And all that word means is it's a process of cleaning up and making lovely. And God desires that our spirit, our soul, and our body be sanctified completely, be made blameless, be made lovely. You know, when I was stomping on balloons and yelling at my son, my soul and my body were leading me down a path of ugly anger and control, which basically equals sin. And when the soul leads the way, doing its own thing, it doesn't make for a lovely Christian. 
Because remember, what is lovely? We talked about this last night too. It's beautiful and pleasing in a harmonious way. Now there's no harmony when our spirit has been saved and made lovely and our soul and body are still wallowing in sin. Let me say that again. If you're writing notes, this will be a good one to write down. There is no harmony when our spirit has been made lovely and our soul and our body are still wallowing in sin. That is why it says in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Doesn't make sense, does it? Doesn't make any sense at all, and it shouldn't. Last fall, I was really privileged to get to just take the whole fall and just study and pour my heart and soul into Romans 6. And God taught me so much. We, we wrote a Bible study last year called So Long Self, and it had been on my heart for years to do this study, and finally God afforded me the time to be able to do it. And we've had it available online as a download all year. We had a group of people that did it along with us at, over at Bethel Temple Church in Hampton, but at, they were like a pilot group. But we finally, just in the last couple of weeks, have gotten this thing into a hard copy, and there's actually um, CD teachings of all the sessions that were recorded there that go along with the lessons. And this Romans 6 is such a powerful chapter for transformation because it starts off with that question. How in the world are you going to be saved and keep walking around in sin? And so it just really walks you through the practical of, of learning to live out this lovely that God has called us to. I believe that chapter is one of the most powerful chapters in the Bible for a Christian in this day and time, that we need to learn how to walk out this lovely. It's a chapter about transformation. And so we just want to bless somebody else with this study. Cheryl Evans, are you here? Where? I can't see. I can't. Wave your hand. Way back in the back, Kelly. We just want to bless you with this. But ladies, that would be a good study for some of you to do as a group or individually. To just, if you're really interested in transformation, you got to get in the Word and let God show you some things about that. See, in God's eyes, we are saved. We're lovely to Him, and we need to know that in our very being. we got to remind ourselves of it. We've been unveiled before God. He invites us in. But at the same time, we've got to wake up to the fact that the Holy Spirit is calling us to transformation for our soul and for our body. We've got to be in this zone of becoming lovely. So this morning, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about transformation, that transformation zone. And I want us all to have our minds awake and ask ourselves this question. Where am I? Am I stuck or am I being transformed? You know, sometimes we just get stuck. We get stuck in our patterns of daily living. We get stuck in family traditions and expectations. Sometimes we just get stuck in enjoying the passing pleasures of sin because sin can be fun in the moment. We can get stuck in manners of thinking that are just very ungodly and, and negative. We can get stuck in just focusing on ourselves. Last night we looked in Isaiah 1. I would encourage you to turn back there again. Basically the people in Isaiah 1, they were stuck. Okay, Let, Let's remind ourselves of how they were stuck. God came in and he started talking to them and he said, look, you need to look at me. He was trying to wake them up. <laughs> and he said in verse 3, he said, look at me. You don't even know your maker. In verse 4, he said, look at yourselves. You are so weighed down with iniquity. Over in verses 10 through 15, he said, look at your worship. It's worthless. It's worthless in my sight. 
But then in verse 18, he called them to look at him because he wanted to pull them out of stuck. And he said, come and let us reason together. Maybe you are stuck today, stuck in a pattern of sin, stuck in a pit somewhere of something that you've been in for so long, you just don't even know how to begin to climb out of that thing. You just can't seem to get out. You can't seem to change. You don't even know where to begin. And when we're stuck, ladies, it is so important that we remember the foundation that God has already made us lovely. Because when you're stuck, what really happens is you begin believing you're not lovely. And you believe there's no, there's no way that anything could ever change. One of the purposes of God removing that veil is to give us hope. Is to give us hope because the older we get, we look at this life and we realize how broken it is. And some of us just turn our head to that and we just allow ourselves to be stuck. When if we would turn our eyes on Jesus and get our eyes on him, you can't stay stuck. You cannot stay stuck if you look at God long enough. It puts you in a zone of being transformed. Being stuck is never ever, ever an option for the believer. Because the believer should be beholding God now that his face has been unveiled. And it puts you in this zone of our being transformed. And we got to realize transformation doesn't happen like that. It's, it's not a, a quick fix. It's a process. Sanctification is a process. This transformation into lovely. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians, from glory to glory. It's like little by little. God changes us. We, we enter that zone. We, we behold God. We spend time with him. We meditate on him. We think about the things that he says. And little by little, the more we look at him, we see him better. And there's this power that begins to work in us to change us and transform us. As a parent, I mean, I need lots of transformation right now. I'm just being totally real with you. It would be very easy for me to just give in and be stuck. But see, the, the more I behold God and the more I keep looking at him, he keeps showing me he has more for me than that. And he has more for my kids and more for my family. I cannot be stuck if I'm a believer. I have to get my eyes on God, and that doesn't allow me to be stuck. I want to tell you about a woman who's here with us today who's named Stephanie. She wouldn't give in to stuck either. Stephanie tells the story that when she was 12 years old, Christmas became a turning point in her life. She was already under a lot of guilt and shame over some childhood experiences, and she had some older brothers and sisters, and her mother let her older brothers and sisters have an alcoholic drink, a screwdriver is what it was called, on Christmas Day. And she took a sip, she said, that would forever alter her life. Because from that day forward, she started using alcohol to numb her feelings. By the time she was 15, she says she was a full-blown alcoholic. And by the time she was 30, she had tried all different kinds of drugs. She was addicted, she was unemployed, and she was homeless. And she was living in a tent in the woods of Virginia Beach. And this is a picture of where she literally was living. But then she says, my God entered the picture. Now, if anybody had a reason to feel stuck, I would think it would be Stephanie. Living in a tent in the woods somewhere. Being addicted unemployed, probably broken most of the relationships that would work for her, okay, that would be a blessing in her life. But she says, then my God entered the picture. She said Jesus had been her Savior since she was 10. She had given her life to Jesus when she was 10. 
But she had never allowed him to be Lord. In other words, Lord of her soul and her body, of what she did with her days and her moments and her mind. The Lord began to do some amazing things when she surrendered and started to get her eyes on him as the Lord of her life. She completed rehab. She was able to get some housing. This next picture is a picture of her standing outside the door of where she's living now. And God is continuing to work. Is everything perfect? No, but she's in the zone. And God is transforming her as she looks at him and continues to keep her eyes on him. He pours things and and ministers things into her life and heart that are transforming. She's in that zone. Now, it would have been very easy for her to be stuck. And many of us know what that feels like. Satan would like nothing better than to convince us that we're stuck. That there's no way out of this particular thing. Some of us even get everything else going okay in our lives, but we've got this one over area over here where we just say things like, that'll never change. It's always been that way. <laughs> I blew it so bad in that area, just going to have to deal with that until I get to heaven one day. I'm just a, and you fill in the blank, you know. And some of us pronounce that kind of stuck over other people in our lives as well. But that's a lie. Jesus can transform anyone from anything. Do you believe that? I mean, that's what the Word of God says. He can transform anyone from anything. If you believe you're stuck, here's what will happen. You won't even take the time to gaze at God. Because when you gaze at Him, when you behold Him intently, you can't stay stuck. You can't. It's not even an option for the believer who is beholding God. When you behold God and you enter that transformation zone. He's going to show you all kinds of things about himself. Two of the things that I believe he shows us again and again and again because we forget them so quickly are that he is good and that his grace covers us. I know that every day as I behold the Lord in some form or fashion, he reminds me of those things because I can so easily forget. And if I am not beholding him and not remembering that he is a good God and that he is full of grace, one of two things is going to happen that is going to just pummel me right down into a place of being stuck. And here's what the two things are. I will believe that God is not good enough for me if I don't believe he's good. Or if I don't believe in his grace and if I don't see his grace, I'm going to believe I'm not good enough for God. And both of those things are going to put me in a pit of being stuck. But when I behold the Lord, it's all different. Things change because I see that he's good and his grace covers me. And that's just the beginning of what he will show us. So I ask you again, where are you? Are you stuck? There's no need to be stuck, ladies. The veil has been torn and you can behold God, and you can see his goodness and his grace and all kinds of other things about our marvelous God. You can be in a zone of our being transformed. Now, when you look at yourself, you may not see stuck, and that's great if you don't. But when you really look, you might see stubborn instead. Sometimes they work together. Sometimes if you're stuck, you're stubborn or vice versa. Sometimes people just don't even want to wake up. To God's work in their lives. You know how sometimes when the alarm goes off, you just kind of hit the snooze or just throw the thing even? You know, it's like, go away. I want to stay in this bed. Well, that's how we can be spiritually too. We don't want to wake up to the work that God wants to do in us. And you know what that is? It's just stubbornness. It's just stubbornness. Throughout the book of Isaiah, there's a lot of stubbornness. God speaks to his people about being stiff-necked and stubborn a lot. And one such place is Isaiah 3. And in this chapter, God is actually pointing out the rebellion of his daughters. And I would encourage you to turn over there to Isaiah 3. His daughters have become so proud. 
doing their own thing, focused on themselves. They don't even want to hear from him. They're not listening. But listen to what he says in verse 16. He says, the women of Jerusalem are proud. They walk around with their heads held high, and they flirt with their eyes, and they take quick, short steps, making noise with their ankle bracelets. He goes on to list in these following verses all this stuff that they find their identity in. Earrings and bracelets and veils and linen dresses and capes and shawls and purses. There's that word again, purses, you know. Even back then they had purses that they were proud of, you know. And this is heartbreaking because when you really read this, this is such a picture of our culture. God had been calling these women, but they turned a deaf ear because they just, they had everything they needed, they thought. Everything they needed to make them lovely and, and feel good about themselves. I mean, they had ankle bracelets and headbands and, and necklaces shaped like the moon. I mean, what more could you want? They had charms and linen dresses and perfumes and chains, and they had everything they needed to feel important and valued, or so they thought. God kept calling them, wake up to what I want to do in your life that goes way beyond this stuff. But they just went about in their pride, turned a deaf, stubborn ear to God. We got it all together, God. We don't, we don't need you. Today, I believe that God is calling his women too. But so many of us just keep turning a stubborn ear to him. We have what we need. We're pursuing what we want. I don't need that right now, God. I don't want to minister in that way. I don't want to give up this because this makes me feel valued and important. I don't want to give my money here because I was going to go buy this that I need, this bracelet, this purse, this shawl, this dress, whatever. We have a plan, and we don't want to do things God's way. Sometimes we need a wake-up moment. It might be about stuff. It might be about something else. But listen to what God said to these women about their wake-up moment. He said, in verse 24, he said, Instead of wearing sweet-smelling perfume, they will stink. Instead of fine cloth belts, they will wear the ropes of captives. Instead of having their hair fixed in fancy ways, they will be bald. I don't like that one. I like to have nice hair. Instead of fine clothes, they will wear the clothes of sadness. That's a transformation, <laughs> but not one we would want to live through, right? See, stubbornness towards God always is going to end ugly. In Isaiah 3, that's just one of the reasons that people act stubborn. They've got all this stuff they don't think they need God. People are stubborn towards God for lots of reasons. You know, they're too busy. They're mad at God. They think they're smarter than God is. They enjoy what they're doing. I mean, they don't want to change. They're just too busy. All kinds of reasons. I've seen so many kinds of stubbornness. But here's the thing. I've walked in so many kinds of stubbornness myself. And here's the thing, too. Stubbornness can be very subtle. And, and it can deceive you because you can be serving God, doing all the stuff at church that would make you look like the Christian that everybody would want to be like. But in your heart and in your mind and in those quiet places of your life, God is prompting you and speaking to you and calling to you, and you're just pushing him away because you got stuff to do or you got this issue so you don't want to really look at God or you got this veil up. And we can just get stubborn too. We can. It can be very, very subtle. One of the reasons that I like Isaiah 3 so much is because it just gives us some really good perspective. I mean, when God says... Instead of sweet-smelling perfume, you're going to stink. 
I don't think you can miss the true message, right? I mean, it's there. Stubbornness towards God is always going to lead to unlovely shame. One of the ladies that works with us on our VBS team shared this with me recently. She said, I had been feeling so unlovely lately. I knew that God was calling me to spend time with him. But I was just so busy. And, and she had lots of reasons to be busy. I mean, she, she worked a full-time job. She was caring for a family member who had end-stage cancer. She's a wife, a mom, got church and community responsibilities. And she told me that not only was God calling her to spend more time with him and be in his word more, but also as she cared for this family member, he was showing her how maybe her heart was, was just not in it as much as it needed to be anymore. And, and she knew God was really calling her to serve this, this family member with her whole heart. But she, she was starting to push that away some. And in all honesty, here's the, here's the reality. She was just being stubborn towards God's call to get in the word and to have this heart of service. But she had a wake-up moment, and she made a commitment to start spending time with God, to behold him in his word as if gazing into a mirror. And the other day, she wrote this to me about her sick family member. This is what she said. He's got some kind of fungus that causes him to have really yellow, thick, deformed toenails. I noticed him the other day when I was changing his socks, and I was a little grossed out. I'm just being honest, she said. But I was hoping somebody else would come and take care of it. You know, the nurse's aide or my husband. But today, as I was helping him dress, I just grabbed the clippers and some paper towels. I got down on the floor, and she puts in parentheses, this is the carpet where he frequently misses the urinal. And I did the best I could. I absolutely knew it was God because I didn't hesitate for a moment. And I didn't resent it at all. I just wanted to share with you that. She went on to say, See, a few days before all this, I was thinking of how unlovely I felt. And I doubted that I was a reflection of God's glory at all. But I've surrendered, and I've been faithfully seeking him in the past few days. And so then today, when all this happened, as I clipped his toenails, I just got to tell you, I felt truly lovely. And she puts this in parentheses, and I love it. She says, this is going to sound super silly, but picture Snow White singing in the forest with the birds. That kind of lovely. And it's been even more precious as the day have gone, has gone on, and I have pondered God's presence in the situation. Ladies, the blessings of transformation from God. When we let go of our stubbornness and allow him to call us into whatever he's calling us to, to behold him. We get in a zone with God of our being transformed, and we get all these blessings. See, from the outside, it may not always look like that, because here's these women in Isaiah 3, and boy, they had it going on. They looked lovely on the outside, but God revealed what was really going on. And here is my friend who sat on a urine-stained carpet and clipped an old man's fungus-covered toenails, and the glory of God comes flooding in like a Disney princess. God's ways are not our ways. God will call us to do things that don't make sense to us. But if we're not beholding him, if we're not seeing how good he is, we will be stubborn. We will think, I know better. But when we behold him... We get in the zone, and God can do some lovely work in us. So where are we at? Are we in that transformation zone, or are we stuck? Are we stubborn? Maybe we're just even just kind of settled in, you know? Sometimes we just got to wake up and see how much better it is in the transformation zone. 
Because day-to-day living in this world can kind of lull you to sleep. You know, it's kind of like a rocking chair that can lull you to sleep spiritually. God's been calling his children to wake up for centuries. We can just get all settled in. But God can get our attention. Turn over to Isaiah 6. We'll see how God got Isaiah's attention. Probably read this before. You may not have thought of this as a wake-up moment for Isaiah. But listen to this. Verses 1 through 4, it says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, woe is me. Isaiah's going to have a wake-up moment here, ladies. See, he saw God seated on the throne, and that made him then look at himself. And he says, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I wonder why this is in chapter 6. You know, I would think maybe God would have had him have this wake-up moment five chapters ago because he's been saying all this stuff we've been looking at. You know, he's been being God's servant, but yet he still needed a wake-up moment, and God still needed to show him some things about himself. And he realized the very thing that God wanted to use, which was his mouth, when he got in the presence of God, needed transformation. And I find this very interesting because this is all before Christ. So really remember, the veil's still in place. For whatever reason, God knew that Isaiah needed to see. And so he peeled back the windows of heaven and let him get a glimpse of God. And I love that because that just shows me God can do whatever he wants to do. When Isaiah gazed at God, it was that wake-up moment for him. He knew he needed transformation. And verses 6 and 7 are a beautiful experience for Isaiah. But they're also a foreshadowing of what's coming for us. Listen, it says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Where was this coal that cleansed Isaiah? Where was it taken from? The altar of sacrifice. And ladies, that cleansed Isaiah's mouth. But see, later Jesus would die on the altar of sacrifice for us, and his sacrifice would touch our lips. It would touch our hearts. It would touch our bodies. It would touch our soul. It would touch our minds. It would touch everything about us and cleanse us and make us lovely in God's sight. We have got to wake up out of our slumbered settledness, going through the motions day after day. I imagine for Isaiah that he was probably just going through the motions, doing what God called him to do, going to the temple, giving the sacrifices. And then all of a sudden, God opens up the windows of heaven and shows him who he really is. When we see God, when we behold him like that, I wonder what will change. Not too long ago, a friend of mine told me about her parents going to a Christian marriage conference. And it was a time where they got to get away for a while and just really behold God and see what God wanted to say about their marriage. So at the close of the conference, they asked the wives to rate their husbands on how they were doing as far as being a Christ-like husband. Now, I know many of you are thinking, oh, maybe I should rate my husband, you know. But my friend's dad did the vulnerable thing, looked at his wife and said, so how am I doing? 
And she looked at him and she said, three. After 40 years of marriage, a three. See, he had just gotten into this slumbered settledness of having a wife, being married. But see, he had been spending this whole time at this conference gazing at the Lord. And remember, you can't gaze at the Lord and not be changed. So he got in the zone with God. And he stayed there for about seven years, little by little, allowing God to transform him, beholding God, allowing God to do a work, beholding God some more. And little by little, the numbers started to climb. Every now and then, he would ask his wife, climbed up to a four, then a five, then a seven, then a nine. I never know if he got to a ten or not. Our being transformed. It's a zone. It's a place we have to get with the Lord. We've got to get out of our settled, ho-hum, it will do. This is enough to get me by, get me to the next day, get me to the weekend, get me to my vacation. Realize that every day is a gift from the Lord and a time that he can be transforming us to shine his glory in this world. Transformation takes place, ladies, when we look at God. Our verse says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from glory to glory. Fifteen years ago, God woke me up and he said, look at me. And since that time, I have seen so much about my Lord. And so much has been changed. When I was stuck in my sin and unable to change, I looked at him and I saw he's the transformer. When I was ignorant, I saw he was the teacher. When I was worthless, I looked at him and I saw he's wonderful. When I was anxious, and that was many times, I looked at him and I saw he's the Prince of Peace. He is the one who can quiet this crazy troubled mind that goes off in the myriad of places. When I was purposeless, I looked at him and I saw he's the reason that I live. When I was powerless, I looked at him and I saw he is my resurrection power. When I compromised again and again and again, and I said, I'll never compromise again, God. And the next day I compromised again. All it took was one look at him and I realized he is uncompromising, my righteous Savior. When I was out of control, he was sovereign. When I was lacking, I looked at him, he's my source. When I was overcome, praise God, he is the overcomer. When I was sick, he has so many times been Jehovah Rapha, my healer. When I was filled with shame, he's the one that reached down and lifted my head. Bound, he was my freedom. Needy, he's more than enough. Alone, he's the one who never, ever leaves me. In darkness, He's not only the light of the world, he is the light of my world. (laughs) Accused, he is grace abounding. Dirty, and so often I feel that way, he is my garment of righteousness. When I'm weak, he is my strength. I have seen he is my friend. I've seen he is my inheritance. I've seen he is my courage. I've seen he is my dwelling place, my advocate, my bread of life, my satisfaction. He is the keeper of my heart. He is the accomplisher of everything that concerns me today, even how to parent 
kids who are growing up. He can do anything. And there is so much more in me that needs to be changed. I mean, I told you about my balloon story. And believe me, I could tell you more. That was in May. There have been other stories that have come along since then. But you know what? God is in the transforming business. And my goal is to just daily be in the zone with him and realize little by little he's doing a work in me. And so the most important thing I could do is not tell you another story about how I blew it or somebody else did, but to tell you the most important thing is that every one of us in the quietness of our own lives gets in the zone with God and is beholding him every day so that we can be transformed. It is for all of us. What it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 is for all of us. We can be in a zone of our being transformed. And I hope that you are awake this morning to that opportunity. It's another one of these things that we have got to put on the mirror. We have to. We've got to remind ourselves of it all the time that we can be transformed. There is absolutely no reason to be stuck. There's no reason to be stubborn. There's no reason to just get settled in when you have an amazing God that you can behold every single day. Why would we choose anything else? Why would we choose to live these common lives like people who don't even have the Spirit of God living within them do? No, no need. We have the Spirit living within us who wants to change us. Before we take our break, I'm going to invite Kelly Nobles to come back up, and she's our host for this session, and we're just going to talk for a minute about transformation. Kelly's had some real transformation going on in her life, and I want her to be able to tell you about that. So, Kelly, tell us about where you found yourself about 18 months ago. I had all three. <laughs> stuck, stubborn, and settled. Stuck in a very sick body. One week after delivering my fourth baby girl, Chloe, I found myself in the hospital with a blood clot, DVT that filled nearly 80% of my left leg, caused by a hidden, well, two actually, hidden um, blood clot disorders, causing extensive damage, pain, I didn't think humanly possible. This attack came on me, and I thought I was doing everything right. You know, I was raising my children in righteousness and going to church, and I didn't know what to do, and it shook me, and I, I became stubborn. You know, I just kind of put my hand out and said, you know, God, I don't even know what to do with this. And not reading the word would let you settle into potentially very damaging things. And for me, it was depression. It was a deep sadness, even a victim mentality. Wow. What, what was your wake-up moment? Because I know you had one. Tell them about that. Yes, I did. On my bedroom floor, on my face, crying, crying, crying. Three events happened up until that point. And remember, I'm not in the word. And I went to three conferences Women's VBS from last year, um, a Father's Love Conference, and even a healing conference. And the one thing that they had, all three, was the spoken word of God. It came full circle for me. And I realized how desperate I was and that I couldn't deal with the amount of pain any longer by myself. You reach the end of yourself. And when you have doctors telling you, Kelly, you should have died. You could have died. And you still might die you begin living life waiting to die. Well, Kelly, I know when you had this wake-up moment with the Lord that he began to show you some things, right, about himself. Yes. And that's what puts you in that zone of being transformed. So if you'll just share with the ladies and take a few moments to do that, because um, I want them to hear your story. 
and share with the ladies about what you saw in the Lord that really began that transformation work in you. And then we're going to take a break in a few minutes, ladies, and Kelly will lead you right on into that. So thank you. Thank you. That wake-up moment rocked me. And I saw many things in the Lord. But the one thing that stuck out to me was how much he loved me and his faithfulness. And that when I was not full of faith and had faithlessness, he never left my side. And that moment of laying it all down, saying, God, you can have the faithlessness, you can have the depression, that one act of just submitting it all and surrendering, because there's no other one that can help you through those kinds of things, catapulted me into the transformation zone. Now, the transformation zone is a process, and I'm still in that process. He began pouring life back into me through his word and through communion with him and prayer and, you know, transformation, that really is what it's all about. It is the daily renewing of your mind. And I've said this before, and I'm going to just say it again. He's not Sam's Club. You can't go to Sam's Club of God and say, okay, got it. See you in a month, Lord, when I need you again. It just doesn't work that way. You can't build up faith. If you're not in the Word, because faith comes by hearing the Word of God. He waited for me when I wasn't waiting for Him. He sought me when I wasn't seeking Him. He's a good God. <laughs> he moaned and He cried out for me in prayer to the Father when I had given up. He's strengthened my face. My faith, not my faith. So that now, my faith is so strong, he's built a platform that I can stand on. So when I stand on that platform and I get bad news from the doctors, and yes, 18 months later, I still get bad news every time I go. I stand on that platform, and when I look down and see the world, I don't see it anymore. All I see is him. That's what faith does. You know, I went to a healing conference not too long ago after suffering with pain that just I didn't know what to do with. Even as I walked with the Lord, I still didn't know what to do with the pain. And in that healing conference, I felt pain leave my body. And for four months, I'd been pain-free. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I had another scan. Yes. <laughs> That's the mercy of God. In your mind, you think, okay, the clot is what's causing the pain. So I don't have pain. I'm going to go and I'm going to get a clean bill of health. The clot's going to be gone. And that scan, what do you think it revealed? I have a clot the size of Texas still in my leg. Now, I had been pain-free. About four days ago, the pain came back. Is God still merciful? Yes, he is. He keeps his promises. And when I didn't know what to do with that, not shaken, but just concerned, he gave me this out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, 
but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, they see a clot through a scan in my leg, but I'm choosing to believe what I can't see, and that's his mercy, and that's his promise. By his stripes, I am healed, and you are healed. Now, the transformation zone is not easy. It can be hard, and we need reminding. And, you know, the sticky note thing, Sharon does that, so do I. And I've written on a sticky note that he is faithful, and I've put it on these mirrors. And in a few moments, we're going to ask you to participate in this as well. So when you go home and you put that sticky note, and you go to the mirror, and you're tempted to see all that's wrong, you'll look at that sticky note and see everything that's good in God instead of yourself. You'll behold his face. So as you've been coming now to two sessions this weekend, I'd like for all of you to think about the thing that you have seen in God. Not in yourselves, but in God. You know, what is the thing that he's been reminding you of? Is it that he's faithful? Is he your refuge? Is he your strong tower, your soft place to fall? What is it to you that God has shown you as you've beheld his face this weekend? We have some sticky notes and some pens, and we'd like you to participate in the process during the break. I'd also like to invite you to visit the lobby because there are so many resources out there that will help you in this process of beholding God's face when you go home. Don't lose the momentum that you have this weekend. I'd also like to call to your attention in the um, L magazine, there are ponder questions. This is also part of the process. Read the questions. Talk with your girlfriends. Have a little quiet time with the Lord and journal if you need to. Don't forget your survey. We want your, your, your feedback, and there's a please share with us. We'd like to hear from you. But again, I urge you, really participate in this process. We're going to take a break, and we're going to be back in about 15 minutes, around 1030. So watch for the countdown. We love you guys. We're glad you're here, and we'll see you soon.